This digitally remastered episode is sponsored by our publisher, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. To get a signed copy of our book, Transmigrations, go to sageandsavant.com or pick up your copy from edgewebsite.com or Amazon today. And now, for our show. Welcome, our friends, to the Tales of Sage and Savant. Tonight, Chip Michael and Eddie Louise will take us deep into the laboratory of Dr. Petronella Sage, the renowned galvanist, and Professor Erasmus Savant, her dearest friend. The year is 1893. Dr. Sage is brilliant, focused, passionate, possibly mad. Laboratory of Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 15 May, 1893, 4 o'clock p.m. Test subject, female, early 20s, deceased three hours. Cause of death, blunt head trauma, compliments of an overzealous steam carriage. An overzealous steam carriage? Steam carriages only have it in them to be mildly enthused, at most aggressively docile. Subject has broken ribs, shattered hip bones, a compound fracture of the left femur, and a caved-in skull. Please, Dr. Sage. The right shoulder and arm are intact, however, so there is a chance I will be able to galvanize this limb and stimulate movement in the extremities. We do understand, Dr. Sage. Sensors are connected to the corpse and to myself at the temporal and sphenoid areas, with additional sensors on the right median, ulnar, and radial nerves. For Christ's sake, Sage, they do not need the gory details. You'll have to forgive her. She's spent the better part of her career trying to make dead bodies dance. It's called galvanization. It's unclear what the point of this process is. Perhaps to answer questions about human existence? Perhaps to raise an army for Lord Cthulhu? For the first attempt, I will be using only the electrical energy from my own consciousness. The wires from my body lead to the transduction converter, which will adapt the signals into regular electrical pulses. I have pre-calibrated the output to cycle at 50 hertz, which should achieve a reaction. I was wrong. Cthulhu would die of boredom before she finished. Ending inflection of the brachioradialis, the flexor carpi radialis, and the ulnaris. I'm sure there's a brilliant point to all of this. Expected results. As I move my fingers, the fingers on the subject's hand should twitch. Wait, that's it? A twitch? Poor Alice. You were such a promising student. She is speaking to the cadaver. I assure you this is completely normal. I was certain you were destined to be a doctor yourself someday. I cannot tell you how much the thoughtful donation of your body means to me. See? Not weird at all. I wasn't expecting to be able to move to human trials for weeks. I was sure it would be Suede Ungulate's next. Translation? Hey Alice, thanks for dying. Your death and subsequent gift to science have spared a pig's life. Ah, enter Professor Erasmus Savant. Scattered, well-dressed, 
Messy ginger hair. Ahem. Technically, he prefers the term auburn. Hello, Erasmus. You are just in time for the first trial. I say, where did you get this fine specimen my... Uh, oh, my. I thought today was for the pig. Must she be naked for this process? It's quite scandalous. Erasmus, you have studied the sex lives of the ancient Greeks. Yes, but... The worship practices of the Aztecs I... and the debaucheries of the Romans. Well, I... I should think the sight of one unclothed cadaver would hold no distractions for your great intellect. Yes, yes, quite, quite. Beside the point, I need her naked so that I can observe her complete musculature. The human body is an incredibly complex machine. Anything I observe through the course of these experiments could prove key to my research. I see. Yes, of course. Are you ready for this, Petra? There's quite a difference between a piglet and a... Uh, uh... A human. Well, yes. Only I was trying to think of some pleasant way to describe this... This... She's called a woman, Red. You have heard of those before? Are you here to help, or are you just going to stand there and stare at my subject all day? Quite right. Indeed. What might I do to help? You suffered such horrible headaches after the sessions with the anemones. Shall I prepare some cool compresses for your brow? I must seize the moment before rigor mortis sets in. Any potential results will be invalidated by decomposition, so there is no time for compresses, Erasmus. If all goes well, I will not need to add external electrification, in which case your function will simply be to witness the process. I must produce verified results, and soon, or the university will revoke my privileges. Well... We cannot have that. I will simply hold the thought of cool compresses for after your experiment. In the meanwhile, I'll just stand out of the way and keep my eyes on the subject. Uh, what should I be looking at? Her hand, Erasmus. The rest is quite irrelevant. Any chance you could move her hand down to the table? Current placement is rather distracting. You only need watch the fingers to see if they twitch, and I need her elbow in a slight bend and in a relaxed position. I am to stand out of the way, calmly waiting for her fingers to twitch against her naked breast, then? If her fingers twitch, it will be at my impetuous. That in no way makes it better. Oh, you will survive. Professor Savant looks about in vain for a nook or cranny in this overstuffed laboratory where he can stand safely out of the way. Perhaps if I stand beside the instrument bureau... Next to the shelves with the specimens. Behind the water crucible? Savant wedges himself into place. Careful, Erasmus. That H2O crucible is not stable. I keep meaning to get that stand looked at, but I can't do without water at sterilization temperature while services take their sweet time in repairs. Translation, penury is a poor laboratory assistant. Right you are. I should be quiet as church mice. Though that colloquialism is a patent misrepresentation of reality. Church mice are notorious scrapers, scratchers, and squeakers. I wonder if the meaning of the thing has become polarized over the years. Perhaps it was once a pejorative against fidgety children. Indeed. Dr. Sage turns her attention to the arm of the cadaver. She holds a look of intense concentration on her face. The doctor carefully raises the forearm from which wires lead to the transductum thingy and slowly flexes her fist. And... Nothing. Well, that was anticlimactic. Of course it wasn't going to be that simple. Update 4.22 p.m. First attempts at galvanization show no results. Human physiology is more complicated than simple nervous system of an anemone. It must need a higher amplitude. Next, I will attempt to add external current to the impulses from my brain. 
Dr. Sage reaches above her head and flips three switches, releasing a crank from its locked position. She gives the crank a dozen turns, and energy crackles in a large glass tank suspended above her head. The strands of energy loop and twine, building and building into bloody hell lightning! Are you quite sure this is safe? I should be most unhappy if you were to electrocute yourself. Once the energy has settled into a steady cycle, it will be safe as houses. Until that time? Let's not worry ourselves unnecessarily. Erasmus, have you read the work of Sylvan Muldoon on spirit walking? Astral travel. Muldoon's religiosity is spurious, but his description of separating consciousness from one's own body, whether to travel mystical planes or simply to control the electrical impulses of a foreign corporeal entity, is not that different from that which I undertake here. One must lose contact with the anatomical anchor of oneself and concentrate the electrical energy of the consciousness. If my ideas are to play out, I will, in a manner of speaking, be spirit walking, as I will be by my cerebral efforts only that the movement of the cadaver's arm will be achieved. I see. Apropos to today's experiment, many cultures throughout history have held a concept of separation between soul and body, between thought and muscle. Aboriginal cultures especially are prone to beliefs in spirit journeys or vision quests. Theosophist theories are fascinating. University-led scientific exploration to sideline these beliefs as primitive and unworthy of study. Ah, I shall be careful to make my notes with no mention of any sense of separation between my consciousness and body as I boost the electrical energy I'm sending to our volunteer. Thank you, Christmas. Did you understand any of that? Well, on to attempt number two. Update 4.35 p.m. I've increased the electrical current to 4 amperes and will route my own impulses through the energy stream and then to the cadaver at 4 columns to start, increasing to 10 columns, 24 columns, and 60 columns at regular intervals. Petra, honestly, can you assure me you have this electricity under control? I must compensate for the resistance I'm encountering in the wire. Success lies in producing a workable result in a limb reattachment scenario. Yes, quite. I'm sure we are all most ready for you to get on with it. Let's give this a go, then. Don't be alarmed if the electrical current becomes excited, Erasmus. It's just part of the process. When the action stabilizes, I need you to turn this dial to 20 degrees. Then count to 100. If there's no movement in the subject's arm, slide this bar to 45. Lastly, if there's still no movement, then twist this knob to 90 degrees. That's as much as I can chance for this first go. If that does not produce results, please dial everything back gradually to Z. I shall twist your knobs with utmost care. Professor Savant looks on as his friend creases her brow in concentration. He slowly increases the electrical current. Things seem stable. Seem being the operative word here. Professor Savant shifts between looking at the hand for movement and at Petronella to ensure she isn't dead. Petronella slumps in her chair. Slumping was not on the menu, Dr. Sage. Erasmus mops his brow. His hip bumps into the crucible containing the boiling water. The gauges on the transduction converter are bouncing erratically when suddenly the energy feeding into the cauldron from the dynamo goes wild. It spins and spirals in on itself when bollocks! More lightning! Blue lightning! Hang in there, old boy. She's counting on you. Just tweak the knob to 90. The gauge cracks. 
gracious, this is most alarming. Don't become overstimulated. Never mind that look. The dead girl's arm is twitching violently. You've done it, old girl. You've done it. In his excitement, Erasmus bumps the crucible of boiling water again and in primitive reflex mode, wraps his arms around the tumbling flagon. A laboratory accident has our heroes in hot water. Will they survive the electrical storm of their own making? We'll find out after this short musical break. Now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the musical stylings of Texas Celtic band Clandestine. Behind was a cannonball on the 
my two fine legs away. Ooh, rum, ride, follow little I, whack, fall, little to me. rum, ride. All foreign wars I'll now renounce, twixt this king of England and that king of France. I'd rather my legs as they used to be than the king of Spain and his whole navy. Ooh, rum, ride, follow little I, whack, fall, little to me. And now, back to our story. When last we saw our heroes, they were dealing with the twin challenges of free-range electrical discharge and a deluge of boiling water. So it is with great surprise that Petra opens her eyes. She remembers distinctly the request for the fingers to flex, the arm to rise, and then lightning, boiling water, death, Petra runs her hands down her body, taking inventory. Her side is horribly wet and sore, but otherwise, she's comfortable enough in trousers. Trousers? She's under open sky in broad daylight. Puffs of smoke drift by, and there's a dull roaring in her ears. She wonders... Is this what death feels like? She lifts her hand from her side, and it's covered in blood. (gasps) That is not my hand! I have the hands of a pianist with long and tapering fingers. She has definitely had a little too much electricity applied to her brain. Petra? Dr. Sage? Dr. Sage? Yes, I'm here, over here. And who might be inquiring? Pardon me, but I am Professor Erasmus Savant, and I'm looking for my good friend, Dr. Sage. I am Dr. Sage, but you most certainly are not Professor Savant. In the first instance, your clothes are too disheveled. In the second, your face is covered in, frankly, quite scraggly hair. What? Hey, Gads, the electrical shock must have caused my facial hair to grow explosively. Not to mention that you seem to be missing a rather large section of your skull. Now that you mention it, I seem to vaguely recall a dream whereby a cannonball was rapidly approaching my head. That would account for the considerable headache. I do hope Petra was unharmed. Well, I seem to have been skewered in the side, and I am bleeding quite profusely. I'm sorry for your injury, madam, but you cannot be Dr. Sage. My friend's hair is a delightful copper, where yours is more muddy brown, and her, well, 
her chestal area. Let's just say she fills out her bodice quite nicely. Professor! Regardless, I can assure you I am Dr. Sage. And if you continue to claim to be Professor Savant, I must conclude I am delusional. I'm hallucinating, or in some dream state, possibly lying in a coma on the laboratory floor. There is no such thing as a two-person dream, and yet... Here I am. Yes, here you are with your head quite staved in, exactly as I imagined happening last week at the Chancellor's party, when you went on and on about that silly French button. It was not silly, and it was Prussian, which, by the by, is what I was trying to explain at the party. This particular button, this very one on my coat here, this button with a crest of the Prussian king was only manufactured in a stampery in Belgium from 1796 to 1802. It was issued to soldiers in General Gebhard von Blücher's army, and therefore, I, I can only conclude, based on this button, the general cacophony, the weather, and the current topography, that we have somehow been transported to the battlefield of Aristotle in 1806. None of which proves I'm not having a psychotic episode. The only thing that might prove, in the smallest degree, is that I pay closer attention to your ramblings than I let on. But we shan't let that little fact out into the rational world now, shall we? Petra, are you quite all right? I think it is safe to say she is not at her best, Erasmus. Oh, well, I imagine that even though I am suffering delusions, my intellect would not stand for inaccuracies. So therefore, I must be imagining myself the victim of hypovolemic shock. Patients who have lost 20% of their overall blood volume are prone to anxiety, confusion, episodes of nonsensical volubility, etc. But Petra, I am here beside you. I am experiencing many of those same symptoms along with a blinding pressure in my head an overly severe need to vomit, and a strange sense of disembodiment. (laughs) Disembodied. Well, we definitely are that, as you currently sport far too much facial hair. And as you so graciously pointed out, I am lacking a certain amount of pulchitude. Nothing counters my hypothesis that I am hallucinating. Unless, of course... What, you have an explanation for our change in corporeal status? Petra. It seems we are not physically ourselves, but mentally are still intact. Perhaps we've transported somehow, transmigrated, spirit-walked, into bodies other than our own. How is that possible? You tell me, dear Petra. You're the scientist. Well, I certainly never theorized that you could inhabit another body entirely. Most especially not a living one. About that. I'm not sure these bodies were living before we inhabited them. What do you mean, not living? Well, judging from that gaping wound in your side and the fact that I'm missing a substantial portion of my skull. (laughs) So you're saying that we are zombies. (laughs) This gets better and better. Oh, never mind. Now things are about to get even worse. What do you mean? Well, my fevered brain is conjuring up a rapidly approaching French cavalry, which means if we are on the battlefield of Auerstadt and you are wearing a Prussian uniform, there is only one possible conclusion. Those guys mean us harm. Petra, get up at once. We must fight. People experiencing exsanguination are generally advised to keep as still as possible and put pressure on the wound. Standing is right out. Not this time, old girl. Come on. Oh. (sighs) There you go. This time, self-preservation overrules medical advice. Just let me grab my musket. You have a musket. Well, yes. How odd. I do recall having a musket, and yet... You've never fired a weapon in your life. Obviously, in this life, I have. Further proof, I am delusional. But here, give me your sword. I took fencing in college. Stand back, or I will shoot. 
Well done, Erasmus! Doctor, behind you! <gasps> oh. No, you dog! You shall pay! Is this the end for Sage and Savant? Has the great scientific saga ended practically before it has begun? Is death the ultimate barrier to science? We'll find out after this short break. Hello listeners, Eddie Louise here, head writer for the Tales of Sage and Savant. I like stories that ignite my imagination, that make me think about the world in new ways, and that inspire me to build a future world. This is the kind of fiction I strive to write, and this is the kind of fiction published by our sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Featuring works by established authors and emerging new voices, Edge is pleased to provide quality literary entertainment, including book one of the Tales of Sage and Savant, Transmigrations, in both print and pixels. Look for books with the Edge logo at your local bookstore and online for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, iTunes, and Google Play. Find your next great read at www.edgewebsite.com. Com. Yes, dear friends, when you want stories to excite the imagination, you want books from Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. And now, back to our story. It is with relief that I can relay the fact, Dr. Sage comes to consciousness to find Professor Savant lodged most embarrassingly against her person. In other words, his mustache is entangled in her... <clears throat> Petticoats. The laboratory is total wreckage. Water everywhere, glass shattered, wires crispy and blackened. The Edison device in the corner appears to be intact, but the wax cylinder is a pile of mush. The cadaver is still on the slab, God bless her soul. It will cost a fortune to replace all of this. Erasmus. Oh, Erasmus, are you still with me, old saw? Erasmus, there's been an accident. You must try and move. I need to assess your injuries. Erasmus Horatio Savant, you really must sit up. I cannot understand a single word you are saying. I simply observe the fact that I must have died and been transported to heaven. Well, his adventure certainly goosed his courage. Sage gets to her feet and helps her friend into a sitting position. Oh, my head hurts. Be an angel, Petra. Kiss it better. Petra drops his head. Ow! Possibly on purpose. Oh, my head already hurts from that cannonball. There's no need to exacerbate the pain further. What did you say? I said my head hurts. No, 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 no. What did you say about cannons? Don't be daft, old girl. It was not a cannon that staved in my noggin. It was a cannonball. At least I seem to remember having a skull that was lost in argument with a hurled iron projectile. How is that possible? You cannot possibly have memories from my hallucination. As I told you once before, I do not believe it was a hallucination. I believe we transmigrated in some fashion. You believe we spirit-walked into bodies on the battlefield at Aristotle in 1806, and that somehow we died there and miraculously returned to our own bodies here in this lab in 1893. If it quacks like a duck. But that would mean the theosophists have been right all along. That would mean our souls could pierce the veil. That is exactly what it would mean. Oh, we should have to test it. Test it? Disregarding the quite reasonable objections of her friend, 
Petra begins frantically switching off machines and setting her laboratory to right. My dear Dr. Sage. If I have by chance discovered what the Theosophists have long sought, the disconnection of spiritual energy from the prison of the flesh, it must be the galvanization that made transmigration possible. Through the judicious application of electricity to our persons... Judicious? ...maybe reinforced by the medium of water... Our consciousness were flung through space and time itself. Time travel? So now you will have claimed to have invented time travel? Of course. I will need to duplicate and document the process in precise detail to recreate the experiment. Why Auerstadt? Did your button have anything to do with it? Can we control our destination with forethought? All I'm thinking is never again. I shall need to note the exact amperage and the water temperature. Was the presence of the cadaver necessary? Doctor. Or was that superfluous? Perhaps you had an adrenaline spike. I most certainly had one for the success of moving the subject's arm. Petronella, certainly you are not thinking of duplicating what we've just been through. Well, that is exactly what I'm thinking. But we die! Oh, my dear Erasmus, death is no barrier to science. Will Sage and Savant be successful in their continued explorations of galvanization and the disembodiment of their spirits? Tune in next month to find out. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a Twin Star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Chip Michael as Savant, Eddie Louise as Sage, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. A special thank you to Lin Yu as script consultant. This episode was written by Eddie Louise. Special music in this episode was from Clandestine. We would like to thank our friends Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing for sponsoring this digitally remastered episode. Catch our website at sageandsavant.com and like us on Facebook to stay current with all things Sage and Savant. And remember, death is no barrier to science.